0: Amen. Thank you. Praise and worship. And Good morning and happy new year, ARC, and welcome to our guests. Our mission here at Anacostia River Church is to glorify God by making disciples from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the globe. And many of you may know how we accomplish that is through our five M's. And some of you may not know what the five M's are. But by God's grace, we hope to unpack this in this series um, starting today. On how Jesus viewed the five M's, how he viewed the spread of the gospel message. That's the first M. How he viewed showing mercy to neighbors. That's our second M. How he viewed shepherding others to maturity. That's our third M. And how he sought to multiply leaders. That's our fourth M. And our last M is how he, Jesus, sent missionaries to the end of the earth. Praise God for that. But today we're gonna start with the spread of the message. The message of love found in our text today in John 3, 16. But for context, what we'll do is we'll read verses 1 through 15 and then land on verse 16. This is God's word. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the message of God's amazing love that we all need to hear, we all need to heed, and we all need to herald. Because this is considered the most popular verse, like Sister Tano said, it can be a danger because things that are familiar can have a tendency to have the amazement of it lost. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to ask God for his help. Father, guard our time together, we pray. Allow us to have ears of faith. Protect us, Heavenly Father, from the schemes and plots of the evil one. Allow the good seed of your word to fall on good soil today, God. Give us eyes to behold your marvelous truths in your word and allow us to see clearly your love that pursues rebels and rescues sinners. Lord, I pray you would perform the heart work and that we would bear fruit of 60, 80, 100 fold. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the mention of that movie, it causes all kind of excitement and wonder and some off the chain box office sales. Like I think they're over like a billion right now, right? But after speaking with people like Pastor Tim and Alex and my sons, Joshua and Jonathan, I finally went to see it. And you know what? It wasn't bad. It was actually really good. Now I won't give away any plot twists or anything like that, but the person who made this movie was like a creative genius. Just the way he brings in things from the past, the present, and the future is just crazy. But it was the awe and the wonder that these brothers spoke about that drew me in to discover for myself. It's reminiscent of the woman at the well who met Jesus. You remember that? When she ran back into town and told all the townspeople that she had met a man and that they should come and see the one who told her everything she had ever done. And then in John 4, it says that many Samaritans believed because of the woman's testimony. But when they came and met with Jesus for themselves, they said it is no longer the woman's testimony. But we have heard for ourselves that indeed, this is the savior of the world. Wow. The fact that God's love is not just for the Jews, but Samaritans and Gentiles is amazing. The hated and the heathen, the least, the last, and the lost. Oh, the religious folks didn't like that, though, right? Right? but it was the plan of God and the amazing love of the Savior from the beginning. So whether it's the anticipation of a movie with a subpar superhero or the excitement of the promised Messiah that came to an undeserving people, there is wonder that should take our breath away and cause us to go and tell someone. And our main point today is if we have the best message ever, this is the best message ever. (laughs) We want to share that with our neighbors in Southeast a message of amazing love of an amazing God towards a people that least expect good news in difficulties of life. And many would say that in John three sixteen it sums up the whole entire Bible in just this one verse, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But here's what I find interesting about the context here. Have you noticed that Jesus is addressing a religious man? In fact, a religious man that represents a whole religious system who is not only familiar with the scriptures, but also a teacher of Israel, God's chosen people. And this is the context in which John wants his readers to see. The message of the gospel is not in isolation of its context. We've seen it mainly as a message to share with others, but honestly, this passes as implications for the people of God, too beyond just spreading it. In John chapter 3, verse 1 to 15, we see this is a conversation that takes place between Nicodemus, a Pharisee, described by Jesus as a teacher of Israel. He was rich, he was powerful, he was educated, yet he needed to be born again. He came to Jesus at night in the cover of darkness because he was intrigued by him. He recognized that he was a great teacher who did great miracles and even recognized that God was with him in some kind of way. But Jesus, patient, loving Jesus, fully God and fully man, knew what was in the heart of man and now demonstrated that he knows what is in the heart of Nicodemus. He knew that Nicodemus' religion could not save him, but what he needed was a new birth. So he gets right to the point and lets him know, to have eternal life, Nicodemus, you must... Be born again So Nicodemus asks the same question you're probably wondering: What does it mean to be born again? Well, what it does not mean is reincarnation. In the sense of how New Age or our Hindu friends see it, dying and coming back as another person or animal or insect, no. The Bible is pretty clear that as humans, we are uniquely made in the image and likeness of God. In fact, Hebrews 9:24 tells us that it is appointed man to die once and after that the judgment and every person has one life and one life to live only there is no second chances after death there is no second chances after death and that's why we preach sunday after sunday that is why we hit the block week after week that's why we invite family and friends and neighbors to know this savior there's an urgency to this message so to help nicodemus out jesus gave him two illustrations on what it means to be born again In his illustrations in verse 5 to 8, he compares this new birth with elements, water and wind. The water represents the cleansing work of the Spirit, and the wind represents the breath of life by the Spirit. Both indicate that it's purely a work of the Holy Spirit. To be born again is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is super helpful for us in our evangelism. This means we deliver the message and we trust the Spirit for results. Let that encourage you in your sharing of this message. Yes, be thoughtful. Yes, be bold. Yes, be clear. But put no confidence in the flesh, family. So in his two illustrations, there's two things that he makes very clear. One, we must be born again. And two, we must rely on the Spirit's word. To be faithful to the spreading of this message, we must be born again and must rely on the Spirit's word. But Jesus doesn't stop there. If you look here in verse 14, he then points to the Old Testament and then points to himself for clarity. And that's what Jesus does. He reveals what the Old Testament conceals. He's like the 4D movie after the sneak previews. He reminds him of Numbers chapter 21, verse 8 and 9, where the Israelites have rebelled and sinned against Moses, and the Lord sent poisonous snakes to bite all the people. And after the snakes bit the Israelites, God commanded Moses to lift up a bronze serpent and all that looked on that object by faith would be healed. Wow, the very thing that was sent by God as a consequence of their sin was now by faith a symbol of their salvation. Jesus used the imagery of the serpent to demonstrate that God is just and the justifier of their faith. And this is way back in the Old Testament before Paul even said that. And those that looked upon the cross by faith, um, Jesus would also point to that as that happening to him when he would be lifted up on the cross. And that they, people who would receive salvation by faith for all who believe in him. What a preview. What a God. What a Savior. What a love. And this is a story that he used to set up this verse this morning in John 3.16. So let's look together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So two points and two points only. We wanna look with wonder and amazement at God's love. And in two, let that fuel you to continue to spread the message. So one, look with wonder and amazement at God's love. And two, let that fuel you to spread the message. He starts with four to explain the father's motive. His motive is love. Love for the world, a rebellious and sinful world. But thank God his love pursues rebels. I like the way the Amplified Version puts it. It says, for God so greatly loved and daily prized the world. And I love this version because it double downs on the shock value. But the question is, why love? There are a number of different words that could have been chosen. But God chose love we could pause right there and sit and soak on that for all of eternity, the fact that God chose love. But it gets deeper and even more wonderful when you recognize his love is not static, but it's an action word and not just associated with a feeling, but a rock solid commitment to act. If there ever was an illustration that action speaks louder than words, this is it. I'm convinced that in our context, We need to hear more about God's love and not less. When I think of our friends on the block, not her real name, but I call her Miss M. She comes to mind. She's always looking for Jasmine and Dietrich during Coffee and Convo, and she just loves chopping it up with the Coffee and Convo team. One day she said these words, that just your presence and prayers make my day, and I know it does for others. Yes, she had heard the gospel message from us, God's loving Christ from us but it just lands differently when people hear and they see the message in action through a relationship. That's what Jesus did. I think of several ladies that are always at the bus stop at about 9.15 every Monday morning. I call them Ashley and Tano's crew. They built relationships and have gospel conversations on the block with them now for months. And our hope is that we see some sort of bus stop Bible study that take place where we can see that they can see that the church is not just a building, but it's a people who bring and spread and go deep with the message of God's love with them. And think about this. God gave not just a message in the sky, which he could have done, but he gave his son. And when his son came, he came with a message, but also a demonstration of power, a demonstration of compassion. And what this did was confirm the message he preached. And by way of application, think about it. Think about who is in your sphere of influence. Is it a coworker who's losing hope, who comes to you over and over and over again? For children, is it a classmate who's being bullied, who you see sitting by themselves many times? Could they benefit from hearing about the love of God? Who could you open up the scriptures this week and say, God so loved the world that he pursued rebels? And then share your testimony along with the gospel on how he pursued you. The subjective and objective truth of God's love is powerful. And God loves, pursues rebels. And we also see that God's love is a radical love that is undeserved. Number one, it's a radical love because as rebels, we were enemies of God. And two, it's radical because we chose he chose to love us anyhow. Our arms are way too short to box with God but we have tried. We have tried in our suppression of the truth. We claim to be wise in our own eyes and we've worshiped or served created things rather than creator. We have bowed down to the triune false God of money, power, and respect. We've harbored lust in our hearts and impure thoughts in our minds and have shaken our puny fists up at God. Enemies. But God's love is radical because he chose to love us anyhow. And in the Jewish mindset, God's love was exclusive for the nation of Israel only. There was this nationalistic pride that Israel had concerning God's love. In some ways, we see that in us even today. What do we mean when we say God bless America? Is it because we see America as the only nation deserving of God's favor? Or that God has blessed us to be a blessing to others? Do we see blessings strictly for us? Or something that flows through us to others. But Israel became a stumbling block and ultimately rebellion against God, who charged them to be a light to the nations, to draw the nations and not to shun them. But it's amazing how quickly Israel forgot that when God chose them, it was not because of something special in them. In Deuteronomy 7 7, speaking about Israel, it says that the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. So he's like, the very reason I chose you was because you were the least likely to be considered a great nation, the least likely to have a Messiah coming from your lineage. And on and in that way, God and God alone can get the glory for the great things he has done through the least likely people. So Israel had forgotten where they came from and what their mission was. And here's the question for me and you for us how are we doing in remembering where we came from and our mission to share the message 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 to 29 Paul speaking now to Christians he says consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards but not many were powerful not many were of noble birth but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And if you think about your own story, your own testimony, you didn't come to God with everything altogether, and yet his radical love arrested us in the middle of our mess. It may not be the same sin that others fight with, but it is the same power of the same spirit that rescued us, that can rescue them. So Christians, God's radical love teaches that regardless of class, race, or any other partiality, we should be a people marked by love. A good question to think on is, do I, do we love the people we spread this message to? we love the people we spread the message to? When I look into their eyes, do I see beyond the external, beyond a scowl or bloodshot eyes, beyond weariness from life, beyond awkward um, appearances, but rather do I see them as fellow image bearers in need of a savior? God's love is also sacrificial and costly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in Genesis 22. You remember God told Abraham to take his only son, the son of Thomas, who he loved, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which he was you. Can you imagine how Abraham felt in that moment? Can you imagine the questions he might have had? Parents, I know you feel that all up in here just at the mere thought of doing that to one of your children. But what's often neglected is the son. Isaac and children, you all can probably feel the same tension too. It was a mutual love, a mutual obedience, a mutual trust as they walked up that mountain together. And in verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his special son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went up together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both went up together. And maybe in this you can begin to understand or catch just a glimpse of the cost that it was for God the Father to provide his son as a sacrifice for people who would never understand this sacrificial gift of love. And now on that day, God provided a ram in the bush and he held back Abraham's hand from sacrificing his son. And in this, God was showing that in advance, another sneak preview, what he would do with his own son centuries later in the same vicinity. And some scholars would say on that very mountain, he would take his only son to the place of sacrifice. But in this case, there would be no substitute. In fact, he would be the substitute for us. The whole Bible is one whole book of God communicating to the whole world his whole love found in the sacrifice of his beloved son. Oh, family, look what God's love did. He loved enough to step in, to sacrifice his very best. And Jesus makes clear in John 17 of what it means to be in the Father's love from eternity past. In John 17, 24 and 26, Jesus praying the high priestly prayer says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And Reeves, in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, says of this verse that the Father loved him before the creation of the world. And the reason the Father sends him is so that the Father's love for him might be in others also. And this is why the Son goes out from the Father in both creation and salvation that the love of the Father for the Son might be shared. End quote. And this is significant because we learn that the Father sent the Son, but that the Son was also willing to go, willing to go to the cross. Jesus speaking in the same book in John 10 says, I lay my life down on my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. Hebrew says it like this, it was the joy, that was set before him, Jesus, that he endured the cross, despising its shame. There is no love like Jesus. Let us be encouraged, fam. Encouraged to imitate this sacrificial love to our brothers and sisters inside the church. Why? Because this is how we survive and thrive in a hostile world. As your own poet, James Todd Smith, aka LL J, said, I need love. But he wasn't the first one to come up with this. We all need love. And when we show love to one another, the sacrificial God kind of love, it's a reflection of God's perfect love, but also because it bears witness to a watching world. Think of John 13, 34 and 35. It says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By our love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I've always looked at verse 35 and missed 34. It explains how this special love for others, other believers is based not just on any kind of love, but the sacrificial love that Jesus displayed. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So we as disciples of Christ, we ought to embody Christ's love. That type of love is a sign and a witness to the world. God's love pursues rebels, God's love is radical, God's love is sacrificial, and God's love also reconciles. And the rest of the text says, whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. And this is not just purely intellectual or an emotional response. James lets us know that the demons even believe and shudder, but their so-called faith is useless, even though they tremble at what they know to be true. See, we can believe and still not have trust and rely upon Christ for our salvation. How so? Well, just having the facts or believing the facts is not the same as true saving faith. The Pharisees had that. But this belief is a belief that is rooted in grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And the result is not how much more you know about God, but that you know him and that you have a changed life as a result. You no longer walk in darkness, but you walk in light. You live differently. You have different habits, different desires. Not perfectly, but you are in process and growing in holiness. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six says that God will give you a new heart, a new spirit. He will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and with that comes new desires. So the question is, do you have this type of belief? The belief that bears the fruit of being born of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yes, this message is what we want to proclaim on the block with our neighbors, but it must be a message that we ourselves believe. Yes, believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God, Believe he was without sin and he died on the cross as our substitute for our sins. Believe that God was satisfied with offering up his son and raising him from the dead on the third day. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ is more than a good teacher. He's more than a prophet. He's more than someone you ought to consider. No, he is the son of God and our savior. In verse 18 of chapter 3, John is clearly letting us know, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Those who trust in Jesus are not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. This is what sin does. This is what sin has done. It has condemned us. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. The soul family that sins, it shall surely die. See, we truly can't see the cost of what God's love has done until we see the cost of what man's sin has done. When I was in the military, I read a book called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And one of his key principles in his doctrine of war was to know your enemy and to know yourself. And we're in a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle for our souls with the world, the flesh, and the devil coming at us. And it wants to rob us not just of experience the fullness of God's love towards us. He wants to destroy you and every aspect connected with you and ultimately to kill you. Sin is not a game. And there's three other things that sin is not. Sin is not just an outward behavior. It's an inward condition of the heart. We have a sinful nature. David said in Psalm 51 that, behold, I, have, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, my sin did my, and in her sin did my mother conceive me. And David was not talking about the sinful way in which he was born, but that from the womb, man is sinful. No one has to teach a child to lie or be selfish. It just comes naturally. Number two, sin is not just against people, but at its core, it's against God. Remember Joseph, when he said concerning sleeping with another man's wife, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sin is always primarily against God. It's multifaceted, it's multidimensional, and there's no one phrase that could truly capture what it is. Is it lawlessness? Is it idolatry? Is it pride? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. But at its rotten core is rebellion against God and his word due to unbelief, due to unbelief. And because of our corrupt nature, man does not have the ability nor the desire to respond to God's love. No one can come to Christ unless God does something to enable that person to come. We were dead in sin, but made alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse one through nine captures this well, where Paul writing to the Ephesian church says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead means dead, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh, but, fan, look what God's love did. In verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And it doesn't stop there. He says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. And just as we saw earlier, the same spirit that causes us to be born again is the same spirit that convinces and convicts us of sin and enables us by faith to embrace Jesus as Savior. This love involves the entire Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, through the message of the gospel, calls those who are his to his Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we respond. And that same message in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 finishes off by saying, for grace, you have been saved through faith. and This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So family, even the faith we have is a faith we receive from God. God does it all. He alone can bring uh, God to men. He alone can bring men to God. That's reconciliation. That's what Jesus does. He alone is able to remove sin and guilt. That's expiation. That's what Jesus does. He alone is able to satisfy God's justice by taking on the righteous wrath that was due us. That's propitiation. That's what Jesus does. And all these things come together and find their reality at the cross in Jesus' atoning work. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he had committed to us the message of reconciliation. So God saved us and then he gave us a ministry to go and tell others the way to God. God's love pursues rebels. It's radical, sacrificial, it reconciles sinners, and it's eternal. Look at his last promise here. It says, those that believe should not perish but have eternal life. And this is great news of a great contrast here that we see in this text. Those who trust in Christ no longer need to fear death, no longer need to fear punishment, no longer need to fear guilt, shame, or condemnation, but only now experience God's eternal love. Damn! Look what God's love did. It has showered us with mercy, not giving us what we deserve—death—and grace, giving us what we don't deserve—life. John's entire thrust of writing this book is for us to believe, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Man, he drops all these nuggets of truth throughout the beginning, middle, and end of this book, and he tracks as he tracks Jesus' life and ministry. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, for all who received and believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. In John chapter 5, he emphasizes that eternal life occurs the moment one believes, writing, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then Jesus, in his prayer in John 17, says that this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've been talking about this message of love, but I wanna be clear. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day that you can be born again and receive the gift of God's love, His Son. Whether you're a man, woman, boy, or girl, I want you to know that this same God who created the sun, moon, and the stars, the emu, giraffe, and elephant, is like no other being in all of creation. He's holy and perfect and yet merciful. And not only is he full of love, but the Bible says he is love and he holds his arms out to you today. Even though you've rejected his love over and over again, even though you have sinned against him and have separated yourself as a result, in his love and in his mercy, he has allowed you to hear his gospel once again today. God could have simply allowed you to live your life and die and fall under his judgment forever. But in his radical, relentless, and sacrificial love, God pursued you while you were a a rebel, sending his one and only unique son whom he had loved from eternity past with a perfect love and now calls you to repent and turn and forsake your rebellion and turn to Jesus, the innocent, sinless one who died on the cross in your place for your sin and rose from the dead on the third day, proving who he claimed to be, the only acceptable love offering on your behalf. Believe in him alone, and you shall receive forgiveness of your sins. You shall receive grace. You shall receive mercy, and you shall receive eternal life. And if this is you today, my online friends, family, don't click off without dropping a note in the chat that you want to know more about this love that is offered in Christ. And we want to rejoice with the angels in heaven over you and marvel and say, look what love did. He pursued you, he rescued you, and he gave you eternal life that can never be taken away. In ARC, this is a message that we want to proclaim to the four corners of the block, this message of God's amazing love. So what might this look like practically? So, just kind of thinking about several things in 2022. For us, what it would look like missionally on the block and relationally in the church. So, two ways of framing it missionally on the block and relationally in the church. Missionally on the block, Jesus at the end of the book of John, in chapter 20, verse 21, when he's about to ascend into heaven, he said, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. It's the message for us today, RRC. What does it mean to live as sent ones on the block today? This can be done by those who both live in the neighborhood and those that don't. Now, this is not a change from emphasizing moving into Southeast, but I wanted to say that up front so that those who don't live in the community, for whatever reason, know that you're still connected to the spread of the gospel message. You want to see as many as possible, move into the neighborhood and be genuine neighbors with the residents of Southeast. But as one who currently does not live in the neighborhood, I know it can feel at times as though you're disconnected from the mission. But I want to encourage you that you are no less a member of our church family than anyone else. And I also want to exhort you that it will, however, take a bit more intentionality to live as sent moves. Noel Constanados, in his book, Where the Cross Meets the Street, he says this Understanding the good news is woefully incomplete without a strong and vital connection to an incarnational approach. What he's saying there is just dwelling among the people you're called to, um, to evangelism and discipleship. Simply getting the message out in a way that targets as many people as possible without personal connection or relational interaction is not the ideal, especially in the hood end quote. And this is from a voice who's been there, he's done that, and by God's grace has been successful at what he was doing. And this is what I like to call ministry of consistent presence. Now, we can live in the community and still not be a part of the community, but the hope is in consistent presence is where you are, there the message will be also, fully embodied and proclaimed. And here's several observations and examples and some encouragements just to kind of get the juices flowing on how to bring this amazing message of God's love to our neighbors in this way. So one, I've seen many creative ways in which you all, ARC, have incorporated both fellowship and outreach, missionally on the block and relationally in the church. You have done this well. I've seen that. I think of basketball and Anacostia Park. If you're a baller like me, or if you think you can ball like Daquan, it's always a good time to come out. So, for example, if you're new and you don't live in the community, this is a way that you can have social and recreational activities in the community. So, in the past, we've hosted things like basketball tournaments where we've shared testimonies and the message of the gospel, and we built many solid friendships. And if this is something that interests you, hit up Tasha Bonds on the way that you can get connected. And if basketball is not your thing, right? I've seen recent groups form at Anacostia Park with um, running, walking. Tennis, and uh, last but certainly not least, biking. So there's always opportunities where you can have fellowship but also be missionary at the same time. Friendsgiving. Kayla and Alex, they're the point of contact for this. They've been doing a fantastic job as a Howard campus outreach staff. They're always looking for volunteers to host, to teach, to volunteer, especially during outreach events and driving students from campus and back. And that's just another great way to support those who are in full time work of getting the message out. And it's a wonderful opportunity to get to know some amazing students at Howard. And we often think about spreading the message as someone on the corner with a microphone and a loudspeaker. And we have done those things as well. Brother Colin has led that effort and a few others. But I've also seen some creative ways from the saints. I've seen praise and worship gatherings and a thing called Fam Jam, right, where you called Come Together and Fellowship. And again, you've invited members from outside the community to share in Christian art and singing, spoken word, and just about all kind of other creative ways to build community and to share the message and your lives. I've personally walked away from these events encouraged and prayerful that the seeds that have been planted would bear much fruit. See things like baking cookies, meeting neighbors and following up in that order. I know a sister who recently moved into her neighborhood, and she banked a bunch of cookies and asked a few people to join her in going door to door to introduce herself. And not only did she give, but she also received. She was invited in the home to hang out and left with all kind of goodies. And now that neighboring, that, that neighbor, um, they have an established relationship now of a consistent presence to show love and to share love. And together with the church family, think, what would that look like possibly in your own neighborhood? It doesn't have to be cookies. It can be other things. But if you look at your community, how can you be a consistent presence there? Catechizing children who ring your doorbell for snacks. There's yet another sister I know. uh, When children come to the doorbell for all kind of treats, uh, I mean, like their house is like Halloween every day. And truth be told, how many kids would not love a neighborhood, to grow up in a neighborhood where they can go and get snacks? From a neighbor, right? Well, in 2022, um, oh, and by the way, when they come, they don't just get snacks. Um, This sister catechizes them in the word and in the gospel, right? So we praise God for those opportunities. And for 2022, we ought to be dreaming and praying or really just opening our eyes to where God has strategically placed us and ask two questions In what ways can I consistently spread and share? the message of God's love? And two, how can I partner with my church family to intentionally spread and share the message of the gospel? So one, in what ways can I consistently spread and share the message of God's love? And two, how can I partner with church family to intentionally do that? I mean, what would it look like to have a VBS, Vacation Bible School, in the backyard or front yard to the kids that are catechized in the neighborhood? How might partnering with the men's triad group benefit the community where you live? You see godly brothers and sisters together, honoring, serving, loving one another. It's a powerful apologetic. Francis Schaeffer argued that we must have an intellectual apologetic, but the final apologetic which, which Jesus gives is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. Love began with God who made it visible through Christ and is experienced tangibly in the world through believers, end quote. And we remember John 13, 34 and 5, it says, just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I know when COVID broke out just about a a week ago, there was a mad dash to serve one another, to check in with one another, and to share resources with one another. ARC, the watching world is arrested by that type of love and that type of sacrifice. May God be pleased to do more of that through you. And then there are church-organized or church-led events that have a ministry of persistent presence for the spread of the message. Coffee and Convo, every Monday morning. Members meet on the block from Good Hope Road, right down from the Methadon clinic for prayer, coffee, gospel conversations with the residents from the neighborhood. And we've been doing this now for about four years and have made great relationships, both with individuals and local businesses in the community. And I have been rocked, pleasantly surprised that so many of you have joined us on Monday morning at 8.30. Um, Many have rearranged their work schedules. Some have taken days off. And on their days off, they've come and hit the block. My brother, Peter Noble, he goes to work. And as he walks by, he Either drops us some gospel tracks, hangs out with us, gives us a word of encouragement. Others have joined the Prayer for the Block Group Me app. All necessary parts of the body working together for the spread of the gospel. And again, if you're interested in either joining us with praying or hitting the block, see Ashley. She can get you connected. And if Mondays don't work, we've also started meeting right down the block from the art at the giant supermarket. We do that bi weekly on Fridays at six o'clock. Um, new community, new year, new day, but the same message, the same ministry, and the same consistent presence. Another church-led ministry that I'm excited about this year is Grief Share. It's new here at ARC, and the goal is to help group members heal from the grieving death of a loved one, from the death of a loved one. Each session brings the hope that is found in the gospel. So I'm so thankful that Sister Joya brought this to our attention um, of the church family, but I'm Equally thankful that grief share also serves as an excellent outreach and ministry to a community that sadly experiences this grief all the time. Pray for this ministry and the lives that it will impact. It starts this month. You see joy for details as well. And then we had praise and worship for the first time in the park last year. If you missed it last year, you missed it. Uh, this took place last September in partnership with Congress Heights Community Church. It was really a joy to partner with our brothers and sisters again as our newest church plant from ARC and to see us getting the word out into the community through praise, through worship, and evangelism. And Lord willing, we're going to have another one uh, this spring with the hip-hop element. I don't want to give away the guest list too soon, but be on the lookout for that announcement. Will you join us on that mission? Again, this is just another way to connect, another way to make an impact with the message of the gospel. Carols in the Hood is another one. This is one of the favorites of ARC. Um, man, it was just a joy just to see 50 and 60 people deep sing gospel messages to the neighborhood, right? Never a dull moment, always an exciting time. Our goal with Carols in the Hood is to do that in partnership with people who live there in order to establish and deepen relationships. Initially, I think Ashley and her team did a great job going into two different locations. One area was using group the GroupMe app to get the word out that um, singers would be coming into the neighborhood. And then another group um, met their neighbors and established the neighborhood group chat. Just all of these opportunities just to connect with their neighbors. And there were so many rich testimonies that came from that. using the word and technology and creativity and fellowship and follow-up. That was Carols in the Hood this past year. And if you, if you want to get involved with that, you can see our sister Ashley. Block groups, this is another way, Um, and we would really love to see more of this take place. This is really one of the primary ways that we want to have a consistent presence in the neighborhood for the spread of the mission. These are small groups that meet weekly or biweekly, and they build relationships with people who are not yet Christians. The goal is to share the gospel with them and provide a setting to get to know our neighbors. And we hope to see more and more of these types of groups start up. Uh, Once COVID clears and neighbors are ready to come back together again. This is also a great way for those outside the neighborhood, again, to partner with those inside the neighborhood and to be on mission together. You can see Sister Hannah if you would like more information about that. And to our children and teens, be bold with your faith. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in being a witness where you are as well. Whether it's in the locker room or social media, you never know how the Lord may want to use you. You're a leader, an influencer, and you have the best news ever to share with friends and family. And we also want you to know that we want to encourage you and equip you as well. So be on the lookout for news about organizing something for you all as well in 2022. And lastly, just a plug for the Truth Promotion PSA team. Uh, They'll host their first scheduled meeting on Monday, January 10th, 2022, and this team is charged to help the church to craft strategies and resources for evangelism and apologetics for our context um, within our community. So PSA stands for Pray, Study, and Act. In other words, we want to listen, learn, and then move out in love towards our neighbors. So excited to see what the Lord has in store with this group. And there's so many, many more that we could talk about from the past with Jamie and Sister Deb and what they've done to the exciting things that the Whiskers have plans of doing. But just know that those that have been sowing for years, inviting neighbors, baking cookies, reaching out, sharing the gospel, praying, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap if you don't Today, the today, the grind can seem like things are happening. Not fast enough, but never despise small beginnings. You got to have your mind right that this type of work is for the long haul. And to see disciples made from the four corners of the block may take years, decades, or several generations. But be encouraged to stay the course. And for those on the fence, be the answer to the ministry question you have. So Carols in the Hood started with just a few ladies gathered together and deciding to go caroling in the neighborhood. Coffee and Convo started with a couple of brothers seeing a segment in the community without a gospel witness. It's a unique but yet exciting time for the spreading of the message. The one key is consistent presence. There are seasons and times when we have gone wide in spreading the message, but there's also a time for the message to go deep as we unpack that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. May this be our testimony for our church in 2022. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for your church. We ask that in these unique times that we would be like the men of Issachar. Indeed, God, we thank you for the many things that have taken place, um, the many seeds that have been sown, God, and we pray that there will be more of that. Lord, lead and guide us in wisdom. Lead and guide us in love. Lead and guide us in faith. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.